0: Welcome to 101.9 High FM, six minutes past twelve. Thank you so much for joining us and thanks for staying with the radio station. Today, we, as usual, we are going to be talking to somebody from Citadel. The, our guest today is no stranger to the show. Hilary Duddy is the Managing Director of Citadel Fiduciary Propriety Limited. Hilary, welcome back to High FM.
1: Thank you very much,
0: Abby. Great. Hilary, the uh, topic today is the trust is dead. Long live the trust. And then we go into it, but maybe let's go back a little bit, um, just to sort of position it and just give our listeners an understanding of what a trust is, why it's created, how it's created, before we get into the mechanics of how it works and how maybe it doesn't work. But let's maybe start at the very beginning. 101. What is a trust?
1: Thanks very much, Avi. Essentially, a trust is a legal entity separate from a person. Um, so similar to a company, it comes into being through a legal process. Um, but it's a bit different from a company. It's governed by different laws, mainly the Trust Property Control Act. And instead of reporting to the Registrar of Companies, trustees report to the master of the high court. And uh, a trust can own assets. Uh, it's founded by an individual who then um, asks various people to act as trustees. And this legal entity is created for the benefit of a beneficiary, a third party, who may be one of the trustees but often is not a trustee. So, so, to, to, so to
0: summarize, for example, I come to you and say, Hillary, I have got certain assets that say are property That I want to buy I'd like to buy it in a trust For whatever reason We'll get to that I then set up a trust Through a legal process Um, The trust is then created I then need to say Well who are going to be The beneficiaries Who's going to benefit From the trust And I list the people And then who manages the trust
1: that's exactly the point is the trustees are responsible for managing the trust and they have a fiduciary duty, um, similar to a director of a company. The trustees have a fiduciary duty to the beneficiaries of the trust. And in simple terms, a trust is actually a contract between the founder and the trustees for the benefit of the beneficiaries. So it's, it's formed um, during a lifetime by means of a contract that the founder and the trustees sign and the trustees are then, um, obliged to apply to the master of the high court to be formally recognized as trustees. The master will issue a letter of authority and the trustees are now authorized to manage the trust and to enter into the transaction contemplated, whether it's buying the property or, or something else. Right. So it has to hold assets. For the benefits of, of someone And normally that's a family suggestion. the beneficiaries would be Your family members, but a trust Could also be used to run a charity So people might have come across A trust in the context of a
0: Charitable uh-huh. trust Okay, I ask you, can the founder Also be a trustee If I've come to you and said, please Henry, help me set up a trust, but I also want To be, you know, part of that group Of people who manage the trust, could I Be the same?
1: Absolutely, Avi, there's no restriction on that. But where you have to be very, very careful is that as the founder, you relinquish ownership and control of the trust assets in your personal capacity. So you might still have some measure of control in your capacity as trustee, but personally you have to give up ownership of assets you put in there. And if you don't, then you might run into trouble The courts over the last 12 years or so have developed the concept of the alter ego trust, which is a situation where someone ostensibly puts assets in a trust, but they don't actually run the trust properly, and they don't act together with a board of trustees to make decisions. They still continue to make decisions on their own, and that's where you run into trouble, um, particularly if you're also the founder that's... A creditor or SARS, for example, might try and allege that the trust is not a proper trust. It wasn't validly formed, and it in fact, the assets still belong to you as an individual.
0: In fact, all you've done is really created an extension of yourself via the trust without creating that separation that should have been there.
1: Exactly.
0: Great. Hilary, please just hang on the line fast one moment. We need to run to the shops quickly. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9. Chai FM. It's 13 minutes past 12. On And on the line with me is Hilary Dudley, who's the managing director of Citadel Fiduciary. Hilary, thanks so much for staying with us. Let's get into the meat of it now. We've understood how a trust is set up. why, And let's get into the why it's set up. Why would someone have a trust? What is the main purpose for someone setting a trust up, going through the effort, going through the expense?
1: I think generally in a family context, a trust is formed for estate planning purposes to ensure orderly estate planning and succession, particularly if the family owns assets that might pass from one generation to the next, such as a holiday home or a farm. A trust can be a very useful vehicle for that but there are many reasons to set up a trust other than estate planning. For example, if you have a special needs family member that's unable to look after their own finances or unable to earn income because of a mental or physical challenge, then you can form a trust for them um, to to help fund a deceased a family during the deceased estate process to protect assets from creditors. So there are various reasons for forming a trust, but generally it's for the orderly control of assets in a family situation. But as I mentioned a little bit earlier, they can also be used to run a charity. So, so you often find charitable trusts set up foundations and the, the purpose of that is to manage assets for charitable use.
0: Okay. Is there any purpose in setting up a trust for asset protection? For example, I don't know, you're an entrepreneur, you're a businessman and, you know, things have gone wobbly from time to time, but what you've accumulated, you want to make sure that you can put aside. It's, it's been earned legitimately. It's, it's all above board, but you want to sort of ring fence it so that creditors can't attach that. Is a trust suitable for that type of behavior?
1: Yes, a VIA trust can be successfully used for that purpose, but what people sometimes overlook is the trust has to be funded somehow. It doesn't just receive its assets out of the air, and often that funding means the individual businessman must, must fund the trust often by means of a loan account, and that loan account remains the asset in the individual businessman's estate, and that can be attached by creditors. So to the extent that a trust still owes the person who put money into it money, that money could be attached by personal creditors, but any growth and value is ring-fenced in the trust and can't be attached. So it's not something you can do at the last minute if you fear that you may soon be going insolvent and you're trying to protect assets from creditors, that that won't work, but if You've had a trust for a long time and, and slowly assets have grown in the trust To the extent that there's no loan accounts Those assets are protected
0: Okay, so in other words This thing has going to be ready set up It's going to be planned And one has to move the assets in very carefully But be careful If you just move them in There's going to be a debit and a credit for the transaction And the loan on your side And your personal side Could be attached if needs be Okay, Henry, years ago Anybody you spoke to who had more than 10 rand in the bank had a plethora of trusts. There was this fashion a couple of years ago where people had a family trust and a property trust and a business trust and an uncle's trust and a maybe if I have children's trust. I know I'm being a bit facetious, but they were sold en masse. Um, and from my experience, where they really fell apart was twofold. Number one, there was no accounting mechanism that was given to the person to, ha- to enable them to run those trusts correctly, so they became cumbersome and just painful and unwieldy. And, and second of all, the law changed. All of a sudden, you know, the government woke up together with the, the commission and sort of realised that. This is maybe a nice place to tax because that's where wealthy are putting their money. Talk us through those two things where there was, you know, a whole fashion of having trusts, why that sort of changed and how the tax regime has made it slightly less favorable for everybody to get into trusts.
1: Yes, thanks. I mean, you're quite correct. They were quite the thing Uh, a few years ago and people would ask their golf buddies to act as trustees and there would be all these trusts set up and not properly run. And that's the key thing. If someone's going to have a trust, they need to ensure it's properly run and properly governed. Um, There were various property investment schemes, for example, that would recommend having a two-tier trust structure where one trust held immovable property and the other trust held other assets. And it's not to say that there aren't specific reasons why people in a family should have more than one trust. So, for example, you might want to put more risky business operations in a different trust from your investments in order to ring fence your passive investments from any operational risk of a business. And um, you might find that a family with adult children don't want to all be Bound together in one trust because they have different needs, a different uh, investment requirements or, or risk profile, for example, and they might prefer to then have separate trusts. We often find a situation where someone's formed a trust and once their children have reached adulthood and have children of their own, they want to start going their own way. So it might make sense to do that from the outset. And um, so there are instances in which it is quite advisable to have uh, more than one trust. But as I mentioned, the governance requirements, the costs associated, because if you have a professional trustee, they normally will charge a fee. Your accounting and tax compliance incurs fees. So it makes sense to try and streamline it and not, not have too many if it's not strictly necessary to do so.
0: Great. Hilary, I mean, for, sorry, before, sorry to cut you off there. We just need to run back to the ads quickly. But when we come back, let's just finish off that point. And then let's also just talk briefly around the tax structure of, of trusts, why it's advantageous to some people and why it's quite expensive for others. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9. Chai FM. It's 21 minutes past 12, nearly 22 minutes past 12. And on the line with me is the managing director of Citadel Fadushri Propriety Limited, which is Hilary Dudley. Hilary, let's get into the, the meat of a trust. Someone's got a trust. A trust, as you said, is a separate legal entity. It pays that wonderful thing called tax. Is it tax advantageous to use a trust as opposed to keeping things in your own name?
1: No, Avi, not necessarily. And the reason for that is a trust is effectively taxed at the highest rates of income. So any income arising in a trust is taxed at 45 percent and on capital gains at 36 percent at the moment, which is twice the maximum an individual will pay. So on the face of it, you don't form a trust for tax efficiency reasons because it does pay tax at higher rates. That being said, there are rules in the Income Tax Act which are colloquially known as the conduit principle, in terms of which if trustees award taxable income and gains to beneficiaries, that income and capital gains can be taxed in the individual's hands at the individual rates. So you can then sprinkle taxable income out by vesting it in the beneficiaries and then they pay the tax. But in the, in the absence of doing that, the trust is going to be paying tax at the highest rates. And so you never form a, at, at, or should I say currently you wouldn't form a trust for tax efficiency. In the old days, trusts weren't even regarded as taxpayers and, and didn't pay tax at all, but SARS quickly cottoned onto that and closed that. Right. So, so that's, that's no longer a reason for forming a <laughs> trust.
0: <laughs> so- In in a nutshell, as you said, the two main reasons for forming a trust would be asset protection and continuity, but one needs to understand the animal that we're dealing with. Why we've created, how we've created, what it needs to sustain it going forward, so that when it gets to the point where it actually needs to perform, like the founder and the one uh, trustee has passed away, there needs to be continuity. You don't want the court to turn around and say, hold on, yes, you've paid tax, but you did not run the tax, the, the trust correctly, and therefore we're just going to walk straight through it. If you can just get everything done correctly and go to the right, People to help you set it up, number one And number two, maybe more importantly The correct people to help you run it On an accounting point of view Then you should be fine
1: Yes, yes Absolutely, and, and I'm hasten to add Not only from an accounting point of view Avi, but also from a legal point of view it is really important that all the secretarial work on a trust is done correctly, so for example, any decisions of trustees must be recorded by means of a resolution or if those are taken those decisions are taken at a meeting, your meetings must be clearly minuted. you should be able to demonstrate that your trustees are in fact actively applying their mind and making decisions regarding all the transactions in the trust and that it's not a situation of one individual making decisions that the other trustees just rub a stamp. If that's the case, then you're going to run into problems. And, in fact, there have even been court cases where there have been professional trustees appointed. They've drafted documents, but it's been clear to the court that they weren't actually involved in decision-making. So you have to be able to show that your trustees are practically involved on a day-to-day basis to make sure your trust has integrity.
0: Hillary, you've obviously hit a nerve here because we're getting SMSs looking, it looks like from lawyers and accountants who are basically saying exactly that, that the amount of time that they've had to spend in order to convince people that these meetings are not just lip service. Yes, it might be one person, the founder and one trustee who's sort of making the decisions, but as this person says here, ultimately it needs to be adopted and ratified by all the other trustees on a proper document signed and dated and um, clearly indicated where it was taken place. I suppose that basically sums it up.
1: Absolutely, Avi, but people should be aware there's certain transactions that can't be ratified. So for example, if a trust is purchasing immovable property, a right. building or a home, the trustees need to actually make a decision to do so before the offer to purchase is found on that property. That's the kind of transaction you can't ratify retrospectively. So it's important to have someone helping run the trust who knows all these technicalities to make sure you don't run into problems down the line, particularly with SARS.
0: Somebody says sends a message here, please make sure that your trustees are either alive or in the country so that they can ratify documents. I think that's quite pertinent.
1: Absolutely. There aren't, there aren't, um, per se issues with having a trustee who lives offshore, provided they can communicate, perhaps attend meetings by phone call, by video conference. But, um, if you do have trustees living offshore, you must be very careful that the jurisdiction that they live in doesn't deem the trust to live in that jurisdiction for tax purposes. So there's certain uh-huh. jurisdictions such as Australia, where our would recommend you don't have someone as a trustee on your South African trust if they live in Australia.
0: Okay, fair enough. Hilary, let's end off on a, on a positive note. I think we've really been quite uh, harsh on trust in the sense that I just want people to appreciate what, a, what they're getting into, that there's a place and there's a space for everything. But it's not a magic elixir that you can just dump assets into. Don't worry about the, the loan accounts. Just forget about it. Use the checkbook for all the, the old days or the check card for the trust uh, bank account. Um at pick and pay on a weekly basis, it's gonna be run correctly and if that's done then it has its spaces. But what is the, you, you've put down a certain advantages and one of them is access to funds.
1: Yes, yes, I mean, particularly while a breadwinner's estate is being wound up. Technically the executor can't pay advances on, on an inheritance unless the heirs, the surviving spouse and the estate are solvent. And you might end up in a situation where Fanny just doesn't have access to cash mm-hmm. for a few months or even up to a year, um, if there's, while the estate's being wound up. And and a trust would um, get around those obstacles, and the trust will continue business as usual. If the deceased breadwinner was a trustee, they might need to be replaced. But other than that, the trust can continue and pay money to beneficiaries, make sure groceries are bought or school fees paid, whatever the case may be, without any interruption. You know so the, that's, that's,
0: sorry. Sorry, the expression that jumps to mind is water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Is that you've got this incredibly <laughs> wealthy estate, the people come barging into your office and say, Hillary, we, we get really to walk here because we haven't got money for fuel. We actually coming to you for supper tonight because you don't have any money for food. <laughs> and you're sitting on a hundred million rand estate. Please sort this out. And your answer is, well, I can't. It wasn't put in trust. It wasn't set up correctly. It's a process and it will take its time.
1: Absolutely. That being said, a trust is not the only way to create liquidity in a deceased estate because, for example, if someone has a life insurance policy, that could be paid directly to heirs without getting caught up in the estate process. And similarly, they could receive pension benefits. By no means am I saying that trust is the only way to create liquidity, but I'm pointing out it is a very useful way Um, If there is a trust, then it can continue to fund the family's requirements regardless of assets being caught up in a deceased estate process.
0: Great. And then you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but just to end off, you know, the whole idea of avoiding curatorship issues where someone is not well and not in capacity, they can no longer take care of their own affairs. A trust is a very efficient vehicle to allow them to be able to pass things on without them having to do it themselves.
1: Absolutely, but Avi, again, it would have had to be set up way before the person lost their mental capacity because it's not something the person could do after Fair they, enough. they've lost capacity. But again, it's a suggestion if you have a trust and you then subsequently put under curatorship, um, remember the whole idea of a trust in estate planning is to impoverish yourself and enrich your trust. And if you've managed to achieve that during your youth, by the time you're perhaps mentally incapable due to old age, then it's no longer a hindrance yes. with regards to running your finances.
0: Great. Hilary, a lot of people are asking, and maybe it's a bit of a difficult question, but what does it cost to sell up a trust? Ballpark.
1: It depends on who you go to, what service provider you go to. So it might range from between five or 10,000 rand to set up the initial trust document. Remember that's if you set up what you call an vivos trust, because you can also form trust in terms of your will. Um, that, that's called a testamentary trust, and that would be less costly in that it's a part of the deceased estate administration process. But, but as a rule of thumb, I'd say between five and ten thousand rand, depending on the complexity of the deed. But bear in mind that's an initial cost. You're going to have annual costs after that for trusteeship and for accounting and tax tax compliance.
0: If people came to you, would they be able to get the sort of the, the turnkey operation where obviously you could set up the trust and then manage them through it on an annual basis?
1: Yes, we do provide that service to Citadel clients and we can assist. Uh, other people as well, but we would then first engage in a whole inquiry as to whether it's necessary to form a trust and what are the reasons for mm-hmm. it and so on. Bearing in mind, a lot of families in South Africa now have as who live offshore and a local South African trust might not be appropriate in their family circumstances So we would be reluctant At Citadel to form a trust And you know, sell you a trust We would want to engage in a whole process To ensure it's the right thing for you
0: That's a theme that's come through Every interview that I've done in the Citadel, it's all about the needs of the client and creating the right solution for the need of the client. Yes, there are certain tools that one uses like trust, like policies, like investments, but they've got to be structured correctly for the client. Hilary, as always, thank you so much for your time and thanks for coming on to the show.
1: It's my pleasure, Avi. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. That was Hilary Dudley, Managing Director, Third Citadel Fiduciary Propriety Limited. Uh, Please get a hold of um, Hilary if you've got any queries. Just go on to the Citadel website. I've had one or two people call me saying that they're not quite sure how to reach them, and I've just gone on the website and given them the details. Go along and just see what they have to offer you. One thing I do want to mention is that, A major part of what Citadel does is really for high net worth clients So if you're somebody who's got a lot of money You're confused, you're not quite sure what to do You've accumulated this wealth and you're walking around in the dark you've got all these vultures and hyenas praying from every different side trying to get a little bit of their uh, their their hands on your on your wealth for whatever reasons and you're not quite sure where to go to get advice that is holistic that'll take care of every different area that you need both local and offshore, please give Citadel a call. And if you're really concerned, speak to Hilary Dudley directly. She is the head of um, Citadel Fiduciary, and then she'll be able to put you in touch with other people. Citadel is really a, a company that has been built locally. It started locally around the corner here. It done incredibly well and it really caters for those people who want peace of mind, who have tremendous amount of assets, but want to make sure that they've got a partner and a support structure, that they can enjoy their wealth without worrying that it's being corroded for one reason or another. Please go along and have a chat to them. But just before I let you go, if you're one of those people who are feeling overwhelmed, maybe not financially is another reason, and sometimes you feel it's just all too much and you need to offload, the Chai FM Helpline is here to help you. Give us a call 0800 24 24 Again 0800 24, 24 Please put the number in your phone. If you don't need it, maybe somebody else will need it. You never know when someone just needs to speak to somebody. Please give them a call. That's a Chai FM, FM helpline, caring, compassionate, and confidential. Also, let you know that the Jewish people are known as the people of the book. We're literary connoisseurs, consumers of words and prose, sharers of ideas. In short, we are readers. Chai FM is now starting a book club. If you'd like to be one of the Chai FM book club readers, all you have to do is give us a call. What will happen? You'll receive a book every month through review on the radio to our listening community. It's social, it's fun, and it's mentally enlightening. So if you're one of those guys who come home, done a hard day's work, sort of veg in front of the TV, and would really like to do something else and you feel they have the ability, then just give us a call. All you need to do is email the word books, that's with a S-B-O-O-K-S, at chaifm.com, and someone will be in touch with you. Craig, thanks for pushing the button. Uh, Citadel, thanks for sponsoring. Hilary, thanks for coming on the show. We will speak to you next week.